Section 13 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 13. This, my dear father and mother, is the issue of your poor Pamela's fruitless enterprise and who knows if i had got out at the back door whether i had been at all in a better case moneyless friendless as i am and in a strange place but blame not your poor daughter too much nay if ever you see this miserable scribble all bathed and blotted with my tears let your pity get the better of your reprehension but i know it will and i must leave off for the present for oh my strength and my will are at this time very far unequal to one another but yet i will add that though i should have praised god for my deliverance had i been freed from my wicked keepers and my designing master yet i have more abundant reason to praise him that i have been delivered from a worse enemy myself i will conclude my sad relation it seems mrs jukes awaked not till daybreak and not finding me in bed she called me and no answer being returned she relates that she got out of bed and ran to my closet and missing me searched under the bed and in another closet finding the chamber door as she had left it quite fast and the key as usual about her wrist for if i could have got out of the chamber door there were two or three passages and doors to them all double locked and barred to go through into the great garden so that to escape there was no way but out of the window and of that window because of the summer parlour under it for the other windows are a great way from the ground she says she was excessively frightened and instantly raised the swiss and the two maids who lay not far off and finding every door fast she said i must be carried away as st peter was out of prison by some angel it is a wonder she had not a worse thought she says she wept and wrung her hands and took on sadly running about like a mad woman little thinking i could have got out of the closet window between the iron bars and indeed i don't know whether i could do so again but at last finding that casement open they concluded it must be so and ran out into the garden and found my footsteps in the mould of the bed which i dropped down upon from the leads and so speeded away all of them that is to say mrs jukes colbrand and nan towards the back door to see if that was fast while the cook was sent to the out-offices to raise the men and make them get horses ready to take each a several way to pursue me but it seems finding that door double locked and padlocked and the heel of my shoe and the broken bricks they verily concluded i was got away by some means over the wall and then they say mrs jukes seemed like a distracted woman till at last nan had the thought to go towards the pond and there seeing my coat and cap and handkerchief in the water cast almost to the banks by the agitation of the waves she thought it was me and screaming out ran to mrs jukes and said 
Oh, madam, madam, here's a piteous thing. Mrs. Pamela lies drowned in the pond. Thither they all ran, and finding my clothes, doubted not I was at the bottom, and they all, Swiss among the rest, beat their breasts and made most dismal lamentations. And Mrs. Jukes sent Nan to the men to bid them get the dragnet ready and leave the horses and come to try to find the poor innocent, as she it seems then called me, beating her breast and lamenting my hard hap. But most what would become of them and what account they should give to my master. While every one was thus differently employed, some weeping and wailing, some running here and there. Nan came into the wood-house, and there lay poor I, so weak, so low and dejected, and withal so stiff with my bruises that I could not stir nor help myself to get upon my feet. And I said with a low voice, for I could hardly speak, Mrs. Anne, Mrs. Anne, the creature was sadly frightened but was taking up a billet to knock me on the head, believing I was some thief, as she said. But I cried out, Oh, Mrs. Anne, Mrs. Anne, help me for pity's sake, to Mrs. Jukes, for I cannot get up. Bless me, said she. What, you, madam? Why, our hearts are almost broken, and we were going to drag the pond for you, believing you had drowned yourself. Now, said she, you'll make us all alive again. And without helping me, she ran away to the pond, and brought all the crew to the wood-house. The wicked woman, as she entered, said, Where is she? Plague of her spells and her witchcrafts. She shall dearly repent of this trick, if my name be Jukes, and coming to me took hold of my arm so roughly, and gave me such a pull as made me squeal out, my shoulder being bruised on that side, and drew me on my face. O oh, cruel creature, said I, if you knew what I have suffered, it would move you to pity me. Even Colbrand seemed to be concerned, and said, Fie, madam, fie, you see she's almost dead. You must not be so rough with her. The coachman Robin seemed to be sorry for me, too, and said with sobs, What a scene is here! Don't you see she is all bloody in her head, and cannot stir? Curse of her contrivance, said the horrid creature. She has frightened me out of my wits, I'm sure. How the devil came you here? Oh, said I, ask me now no questions, but let the maids carry me up to my prison, and there let me die decently and in peace, for indeed I thought I could not live two hours. The still more inhuman tigress said, I suppose you want Mr. Williams to pray by you, don't you? Well, I'll send for my master this minute. Let him come and watch you himself for me, for there's no such thing as holding you, I'm sure. So the maids took me up between them and carried me to my chamber, and when the wretch saw how bad I was, she began a little to relent, while every one wondered, at which I had neither strength nor inclination to tell them, how all this came to pass, which they imputed to sorcery and witchcraft. I was so weak when I had got upstairs that I fainted away with dejection, pain, and fatigue and they undressed me and got me to bed, and Mrs. Jukes ordered Nan to bathe my shoulder and arm and ankle with some old rum warmed, and they cut the hair a little from the back part of my head and washed that, for it was clotted with blood from a pretty long but not a deep gash, and put a family plaster upon it, for 
if this woman has any good quality it is it seems in a readiness and skill to manage in cases where sudden misfortunes happen in a family after this i fell into a pretty sound and refreshing sleep and lay till twelve o'clock tolerably easy considering i was very feverish and aguishly inclined and she took a deal of care to fit me to undergo more trials which i had hoped would have been happily ended but providence did not see fit she would make me rise about twelve but i was so weak i could only sit up till the bed was made and went into it again and was as they said delirious some part of the afternoon but having a tolerable night on thursday i was a good deal better on friday and on saturday got up and ate a little spoon meat and my feverishness seemed to be gone and i was so mended by evening that i begged her indulgence in my closet to be left to myself which she consented to it being double barred the day before and i assuring her that all my contrivances as she called them were at an end but first she made me tell the whole story of my enterprise which i did very faithfully knowing now that nothing could stand me in any stead or contribute to my safety and escape and she seemed full of wonder at my resolution but told me frankly that i should have found it a hard matter to get quite off for that she was provided with a warrant from my master who is a justice of peace in this county as well as in the other to get me apprehended if i had got away on suspicion of wronging him let me have been where i would oh how deep laid are the mischiefs designed to fall on my devoted head surely surely i cannot be worthy of all this contrivance this too well shows me the truth of what was hinted to me formerly at the other house that my master swore he would have me oh preserve me heaven from being his in his own wicked sense of the adjuration i must add that now the woman sees me pick up so fast she uses me worse and has abridged me of paper all but one sheet which i am to show her written or unwritten on demand and has reduced me to one pen yet my hidden stores stand me instead but she is more and more snappish and cross and tauntingly calls me mrs williams and anything she thinks will vex me sunday afternoon mrs jukes has thought fit to give me an airing for three or four hours this afternoon and i am a good deal better and should be much more so if i knew for what i am reserved but health is a blessing hardly to be coveted in my circumstances since that but exposes me to the calamity i am in continual apprehensions of whereas a weak and sickly state might possibly move compassion for me oh how i dread the coming of this angry and incensed master though i am sure i have done him no harm just now we heard that he had liked to have been drowned in crossing the stream a few days ago in pursuing his game what is the matter that with all of his ill usage of me i cannot hate him to be sure i am not like other people he has certainly done enough to make me hate him but yet when i heard his danger which was very great i could not in my heart forbear rejoicing for his safety though his death would have ended my afflictions ungenerous master 
if you knew this, you surely would not be so much my persecutor. But for my late good lady's sake, I must wish him well. And, oh, what an angel would he be in my eyes yet, if he would cease his attempts and reform. Well, I hear by Mrs. Jukes that John Arnold is turned away, being detected in writing to Mr. Williams, and that Mr. Longman and Mr. Jonathan the butler have incurred his displeasure for offering to speak in my behalf. Mrs. Jarvis, too, is in danger, for all these three probably went together to beg in my favour, for now it is known where I am. Mrs. Jukes has, with the news about my master, received a letter, but she says the contents are too bad for me to know. They must be bad indeed, if they be worse than what I have already known just now the horrid creature tells me as a secret that she has reason to think he has found out a way to satisfy my scruples it is by marrying me to this dreadful colbrand and buying me of him on the wedding-day for a sum of money was ever the like heard she says it will be my duty to obey my husband and that mr williams will be forced as a punishment to marry us and that when my master has paid for me, and I am surrendered up, the Swiss is to go home again with the money to his former wife and children, for she says it is the custom of those people to have a wife in every nation. But this, to be sure, is horrid romancing, yet abominable as it is, it may possibly serve to introduce some plot now hatching, with what strange perplexities is my poor mind agitated perchance some sham marriage may be designed on purpose to ruin me but can a husband sell his wife against her own consent and will such a bargain stand good in law monday tuesday wednesday the thirty-second thirty-third and thirty-fourth days of my imprisonment nothing offers these days but squabblings between mrs jukes and me she grows worse and worse to me i vexed her yesterday because she talked nastily and told her she talked more like a vile london prostitute than a gentleman's housekeeper and she thinks she cannot use me bad enough for it bless me she curses and storms at me like a trooper and can hardly keep her hands off me you may believe she must talk sadly to make me say such harsh words indeed it cannot be repeated as she is a disgrace to her sex and then she ridicules me and laughs at my notions of honesty and tells me impudent creature as she is what a fine bedfellow i shall make for my master and such like with such whimsical notions about me do you think this is to be borne and yet she talks worse than this impossible quite filthily oh what vile hands am i put into thursday i have now all the reason that can be to apprehend my master will be here soon for the servants are busy in setting the house to rights and a stable and coach-house are cleaning out that have not been used some time i asked mrs jukes but she tells me nothing nor will hardly answer me when i ask her a question sometimes i think she puts on these strange wicked airs to me purposely to make me wish for what i dread most of all things my master's coming down he talk of love if he had any the least notion of regard for me to be sure 
he would not give this naughty body such power over me and if he does come where is his promise of not seeing me without i consent to it but it seems his honour owes me nothing so he tells me in his letter and why because i am willing to keep mine but indeed he says he hates me perfectly but it is plain he does or i should not be left to the mercy of this woman and what is worse to my woeful apprehensions friday the thirty-sixth day of my imprisonment i took the liberty yesterday afternoon finding the gates open to walk out before the house and ere i was aware had got to the bottom of the long row of elms and there i sat myself down upon the steps of a sort of broad stile which leads into the road and goes towards the town and as i sat musing upon what always busies my mind i saw a whole body of folks running towards me from the house men and women as in a fright at first i wondered what was the matter till they came nearer and i found they were all alarmed thinking i had attempted to get off there was first the horrible colbrand running with his long legs well nigh two yards at a stride then there was one of the grooms poor mr williams robber then i spied nan half out of breath and the cook-maid after her and lastly came waddling as fast as she could mrs jukes exclaiming most bitterly as i found against me colbrand said oh how have you frighted us all and went behind me lest i should run away as i suppose i sat still to let them see i had no view to get away for besides the improbability of succeeding my last sad attempt has cured me of enterprising again and when mrs jukes came within hearing i found her terribly incensed and raving about my contrivances why said i should you be so concerned here i have sat a few minutes and had not the least thought of getting away or going farther but to return as soon as it was duskish she would not believe me and the barbarous creature struck at me with her horrid fist and i believe would have felled me had not colbrand interposed and said he saw me sitting still looking about me and not seeming to have the least inclination to stir but this would not serve she ordered the two maids to take me each by an arm and lead me back into the house and upstairs and there have i been locked up ever since without shoes in vain have i pleaded that i had no design as indeed i had not the least and last night i was forced to be between her and nan and i find she is resolved to make a handle of this against me and in her own behalf indeed what with her usage and my own apprehensions of still worse i am quite weary of my life just now she has been with me and given me my shoes and has laid her imperious commands upon me to dress myself in a suit of clothes out of the portmanteau which i have not seen lately against three or four o'clock for she says she is to have a visit from lady darnford's two daughters who come purposely to see me and so she gave me the key of the portmanteau but i will not obey her and i told her i would not be made a show of nor see the ladies she left me saying it would be worse for me if i did not but how can that be 
five o'clock is come and no young ladies so that i fancy but hold i hear their coach i believe i'll step to the window i won't go down to them i am resolved good sirs good sirs what will become of me here is my master come in his fine chariot indeed he is what shall i do where shall i hide myself oh what shall i do pray for me but oh you'll not see this now good god of heaven preserve me if it be thy blessed will seven o'clock though i dread to see him yet do i wonder i have not to be sure something is resolved against me and he stays to hear all her stories i can hardly write yet as i can do nothing else i know not how to forbear yet i cannot hold my pen how crooked and trembling the lines i must leave off till i can get quieter fingers why should the guiltless tremble so when the guilty can possess their minds in peace saturday morning now let me give you an account of what passed last night for i had no power to write nor yet opportunity till now this vile woman held my master till half an hour after seven and he came hither about five in the afternoon and then i heard his voice on the stairs as he was coming up to me it was about his supper for he said i shall choose a boiled chicken with butter and parsley and up he came he put on a stern and majestic air and he can look very majestic when he pleases well perverse pamela ungrateful runaway said he for my first salutation you do well don't you to give me all this trouble and vexation i could not speak but throwing myself on the floor hid my face and was ready to die with grief and apprehension he said well may you hide your face well may you be ashamed to see me vile forward one as you are i sobbed and wept but could not speak and he let me lie and went to the door and called mrs jukes there said he take up that fallen angel once i thought her as innocent as an angel of light but i have now no patience with her the little hypocrite prostrates herself thus in hopes to move my weakness in her favour and that i'll raise her from the floor myself but i shall not touch her no said he cruel gentleman as he was let such fellows as williams be taken in by her artful wiles i know her now and see she is for any fool's turn that will be caught by her i sighed as if my heart would break and mrs jukes lifted me up upon my knees for i trembled so i could not stand come said she mrs pamela learn to know your best friend confess your unworthy behaviour and beg his honour's forgiveness for all your faults i was ready to faint and he said she is mistress of arts i assure you and will mimic a fit ten to one in a minute i was struck to the heart at this but could not speak presently only lifted up my eyes to heaven and at last made shift to say god forgive you sir he seemed in a great passion and walked up and down the room casting sometimes an eye upon me and seeming as if he would have spoken but checked himself and at last he said when she has acted this her first part over perhaps i will see her again and she shall soon know what she has to trust to and so he went out of the room and i was quite sick at heart 
Surely, said I, I am the wickedest creature that ever breathed. Well, said the impertinent, not so wicked as that neither. But I am glad you begin to see your faults. Nothing like being humble. Come, I'll stand your friend and plead for you, if you'll promise to be more dutiful for the future. Come, come, added the wretch. This may be all made up by to-morrow morning, if you are not a fool. Be gone, hideous woman, said I, and let not my affliction be added to by thy inexorable cruelty and unwomanly wickedness. She gave me a push, and went away in a violent passion, and it seems she made a story of this and said I had such a spirit there was no bearing it. I laid me down on the floor and had no power to stir till the clock struck nine, and then the wicked woman came up again. You must come downstairs, said she, to my master. That is, if you please, spirit. Said I, I believe I cannot stand. Then said she, I'll send Monsieur Colbrand to carry you down. I got up as well as I could, and trembled all the way downstairs. And she went before me into the parlour, and a new servant that he had waiting on him instead of John withdrew as soon as I came in and by the way he had a new coachman too which looked as if bedfordshire robin was turned away i thought said he when i came down you should have sat at table with me when i had not company but when i find you cannot forget your original but must prefer my menials to me i call you down to wait on me while i sup that i may have some talk with you and throw away as little time as possible upon you sir said i you do me honour to wait upon me and i never shall i hope forget my original but i was forced to stand behind his chair that i might hold by it fill me said he a glass of that burgundy i went to do it but my hand shook so that i could not hold the plate with the glass in it and spilt some of the wine so mrs jukes poured it for me and i carried it as well as i could and made a low curtsey he took it and said stand behind me out of my sight why mrs jukes said he you tell me she remains very sullen still and eats nothing no said she not so much as will keep life and soul together and is always crying you say too yes sir answered she i think she is for one thing or another ay said he your young wenches will feed upon their tears and their obstinacy will serve them for meat and drink i think i never saw her look better though in my life but i suppose she lives upon love this sweet mr williams and her little villainous plots together have kept her alive and well to be sure for mischief love and contradiction are the natural aliments of a woman poor i was forced to hear all this and be silent and indeed my heart was too full to speak and so you say said he that she had another project but yesterday to get away she denies it herself said she but it had all the appearance of one i'm sure she made me in a fearful pucker about it and i'm glad your honour is come with all my heart and i hope whatever be your honour's intention concerning her you will not be long about it for you'll find her as slippery as an eel i'll assure you sir said i and clasped his knees with my arms 
not knowing what i did and falling on my knees have mercy on me and hear me concerning that wicked woman's usage of me he cruelly interrupted me and said i am satisfied she has done her duty it signifies nothing what you say against mrs jukes that you are here little hypocrite as you are pleading your cause before me is owing to her care of you else you had been with the parson wicked girl said he to tempt a man to undo himself as you have done him at a time i was on the point of making him happy for his life i arose but said with a deep sigh i have done sir i have done i have a strange tribunal to plead before the poor sheep in the fable had such an one when it was tried before the vulture on the accusation of the wolf so mrs jukes said he you are the wolf i the vulture and this the poor innocent lamb on her trial before us oh you don't know how well this innocent is read in reflection she has wit at will when she has a mind to display her own romantic innocence at the price of other people's characters well said the aggravated creature this is nothing to what she has called me i have been a jezebel a london prostitute and what not but i am contented with her ill names now i see it is her fashion and she can call your honour a vulture said i i had no thought of comparing my master and was going to say on but he said don't prate girl no said she it don't become you i am sure well said i since i must not speak i will hold my peace but there is a righteous judge who knows the secrets of all hearts and to him i appeal see there said he now this meek good creature is praying for fire from heaven upon us oh she can curse most heartily in the spirit of christian meekness i'll assure you come saucy face give me another glass of wine so i did as well as i could but wept so that he said i suppose i shall have some of your tears in my wine when he had supped he stood up and said oh how happy for you it is that you can at will thus make your speaking eyes overflow in this manner without losing any of their brilliancy you have been told i suppose that you are most beautiful in your tears did you ever said he to her who all this while was standing in one corner of the parlour see a more charming creature than this is it to be wondered at that i demean myself thus to take notice of her see said he and took the glass with one hand and turned me round with the other what a shape what a neck what a hand and what a bloom on that lovely face but who can describe the tricks and artifices that lie lurking in her little plotting guileful heart tis no wonder the poor parson was infatuated with her i blame him less than i do her for who could expect such artifice in so young a sorceress i went to the farther part of the room and held my face against the wainscot and in spite of all i could do to refrain crying sobbed as if my heart would break he said i am surprised mrs jukes at the mistake of the letters you tell me of but you see i am not afraid anybody should read what i write i don't carry on private correspondences and reveal every secret that comes to my knowledge and then corrupt people to carry my letters against their duty and all good conscience come hither hussy said he 
You and I have a dreadful reckoning to make. Why don't you come when I bid you? Fie upon it, Mrs. Pamela, said she. What, not stir when his honour commands you to come to him? Who knows but his goodness will forgive you? He came to me, for I had no power to stir, and put his arms about my neck and would kiss me and said, Well, Mrs. Jukes, if it were not for the thought of this cursed parson, I believe in my heart, so great is my weakness, that I could not forgive this intriguing little slut and take her to my bosom. Oh, said the sycophant, you are very good, sir, very forgiving indeed. But come, added the profligate wretch, I hope you will be so good as to take her to your bosom, and that by to-morrow morning you'll bring her to a better sense of her duty. Could anything in womanhood be so vile? I had no patience, but yet grief and indignation choked up the passage of my words, and I could only stammer out a passionate exclamation to heaven to protect my innocence. But the word was the subject of their ridicule. Was ever poor creature worse beset? He said, as if he had been considering whether he could forgive me or not, No, I cannot yet forgive her neither. She has given me great disturbance, has brought great discredit upon me both abroad and at home, has corrupted all my servants at the other house, has despised my honourable views and intentions to her, and sought to run away with this ungrateful parson. And surely I ought not to forgive all this. Yet with all this wretched grimace he kissed me again, and would have put his hand into my bosom. But I struggled and said, I would die before I would be used thus. Consider, Pamela, said he in a threatening tone, consider where you are, and don't play the fool. If you do, a more dreadful fate awaits you than you expect. But take her upstairs, Mrs. Jukes, and I'll send a few lines to her to consider of, and let me have your answer, Pamela, in the morning. Till then you have to resolve, and after that your doom is fixed. So I went upstairs, and gave myself up to grief, and expectation of what he would send, but yet I was glad of this night's reprieve. He sent me, however, nothing at all, and about twelve o'clock Mrs. Jukes and Nan came up, as the night before, to be my bedfellows, and I would go to bed with some of my clothes on, which they muttered at sadly, and Mrs. Jukes railed at me particularly. Indeed, I would have sat up all night for fear, if she would have let me, for I had but very little rest that night, apprehending this woman would let my master in. She did nothing but praise him and blame me, but I answered her as little as I could. He has Sir Simon Telltale, alias Darnford, to dine with him to-day, whose family sent to welcome him into the country, and it seems the old knight wants to see me so I suppose I shall be sent for, as Samson was, to make sport for him. Here I am, and must bear it all. End of section 13